Well, thank you, Jake and Megan and guys. I just love how they get our minds and hearts ready for the message today. And we haven't met. My name's Kim Chitwood. I'm our Next Steps pastor here and so pumped to bring to you God's word today. And I don't know about you, but I've had kind of one of those really overwhelming weeks and I have dogs and that hate the storms. And so Friday night, we hardly slept at all with the storm. And so can we all just kind of take a deep breath in and out? I feel better anyways. So, and if you didn't know this, like it's Jordan's birthday today. So can we all say happy birthday? One, two, three. Happy birthday, Jordan. Where is he? Oh, there he is. He's up at the camera. I was like, shoot, is he in the bathroom? That would have stunk. I could have made a big joke about that, but yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so excited to talk about famous last words of Jesus when he was on the cross. And if you haven't gotten to watch the last couple of messages or been here in person, please do. There have been so many great um, takeaways, people letting us know how it's reaching their hearts and how God's really moving in them. So make sure you do, because a couple of weeks ago, Brad shared the words of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And how because Jesus died and rose again, when we choose him, we know and we can trust that we are not abandoned. We are seen. And then he gives us the ability to see others and walk with others on this journey. And then last week, Jordan talked about the famous last words of Jesus that were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I know all of us have struggled with forgiveness. But knowing that our God died and rose again, and when we allow him, he forgives our sins, past, present, and future. When we can focus on that, he's going to walk with us through that process of forgiving others and forgiving ourselves. But sometimes it takes a long time. So like I said, if you didn't watch them, please do. And then this week, the famous last words of Jesus that I'm going to talk about come from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 28 and 29. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So his words were, I am thirsty, or I thirst, as some different versions say. And it may not seem like famous last words. We don't really say that often. And I've actually read those before, and maybe you have, and kind of just passed them by. Like, of course, duh, he needed a drink. He had been beaten severely, hanging on a cross for hours. But what we know about our God is that his words almost always mean more. He was always intentional. And on the cross, he would have been absolutely intentional when he spoke. Some scholars believe that maybe, yeah, he did need a drink because he was going to say the most famous words that came next. And he wanted to make sure he was ready. But John recorded these words for a reason. We know our God and our God always 
is intentional, and Jesus was absolutely intentional on the cross. Well, this word thirst is actually in the Greek is dipseo, and dipseo means a longing. You're empty, you need filling, you need satisfying. And if you look it up, Jesus uses this word thirst or dipseo two other times. And once, the first time is in the book of Matthew chapter five where he's given his famous Sermon on the Mount. And in verse six, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And a couple of months ago, I talked about the full armor of God. And if you remember, I said that the full armor wasn't something that we muster up ourselves and each morning we figure out how to put on, but each piece of the armor is just letting go and letting Jesus. Jesus is each piece of the armor. And so when Jesus is saying righteousness here, he's saying me. You can't be good enough on your own, but with me, you are righteous. And when he says thirst, he's meaning longing, dipseo. So Jesus could have easily said, blessed are those who hunger and dipseo or long for me, for they will be filled. And then Jesus uses it again in one of my absolute favorite stories of him. And it's again found in the book of John chapter four. And I'm going to read this story from the Bible, but I'm also going to insert some things that I believe were happening at that time and culture. So if you look it up and you go, Kim, this isn't in John 4, just know that I'm taking a little bit of leeway here just knowing what was going on at that time. And so starting with the very beginning of chapter 4, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. But the fact is he didn't. Although if you look at a map, Judea is in the south and right above it, directly above it, north is Samaria. And then above Samaria is Galilee or Cana or other places that the Jewish people would travel. But scholars say that because Jews despised Samaritans so much, they would more likely have gone around about 40-mile detour around to avoid them. They didn't want to see them. They didn't want to touch them. They didn't want to be near them. And so they would cross the Jordan River twice to get to where they were going. But this says Jesus had to. And he had to because it was God's will. See, if you, if you travel that way and you cross the Jordan River, it's not, the Jordan River isn't just this little dinky stream that goes by. You, you literally can go there right now and white water raft. So that's how much they despised them. They despised a people. But Jesus went through intentionally. And when he came into Samaria, he settled at the town of Sychar and he sat down at a well. And he sent the disciples off to gather some lunch. It was about noontime. And as he was sitting there, he was hungry, he was tired, he was thirsty, but he was waiting. And meanwhile, there is a woman by herself at home. She's gathering up her water jar to go get water from the well. And it's an odd time for her to do it because most of the time, the women would start in the very beginning of the day 
in the cool of the day, before they needed to do any work to go get their water, they would get, go together in a group and join each other's company and head off to the well, but she waited. She waited until they were all home and she could go quickly as she could by herself so she could avoid everyone. See, she was used to being ostracized or sometimes mocked or condemned, maybe spit on and ignored. And so she just went as quickly as she could to the well. But as she got closer, she noticed someone was there. And I believe fear consumed her. She didn't want to run into anyone. And then as she walked a little closer, she noticed it wasn't just a person. This person was a man and more fear consumed her. A little closer and not just a man, but a Jewish man. And of course, she was a Samaritan. And she knew what Jews thought of Samaritans. And then a little closer still, she looked and saw that he had tassels hanging from his garment. A rabbi, one of the teachers that knew scripture back and front. I believe she was terrified, but she had to get water. So she hoped he wouldn't notice her. She, got, she went as quickly as she could. She got to the well with her jar, and he turned, and he saw her. Jesus always sees us, doesn't he? And the way he looked at her startled her because she was expecting to see anger, frustration, maybe condemnation or judgment or maybe pity, but she didn't. His face showed compassion, kindness, she was shocked. And then Jesus said something to her and asked her for help, which was completely out of the ordinary for a Jew with a Samaritan. He said, may I have some water to drink? And we pick up the story in verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? But Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He said, the water I give them, you will never dip sail. The water you came for, you're going to keep being thirsty, but not from me. I am the living water with me. With me, you will be filled. With me, you will be satisfied. He's saying, lean on me. Let go. Draw close. Share with me your heart. I want to know you. But she didn't get it. She kind of kept hiding inside. Then the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. 
And I used to read this and go, Jesus, man, you called her out. But I don't, I know that's not true. I know that's not true. But I've read it before and I'm like, ooh. I feel a little bit of shame for her. <clears throat> you ever feel that for people? A little bit of a shame when maybe you know they're doing something wrong. <clears throat> or maybe you feel shame when you read a scripture or you hear a sermon or you feel God speaking to you. The thing about this woman is, is we don't know how she happened upon this life. Maybe it was sin. Maybe did, she did choose this situation or these situations that she was in. But more likely, knowing that culture and how women were thought of as property, she could have much more likely been more like a rag doll being tossed back and forth. But I still believe she felt shame. Even when things happen to us, we can feel shame. But here's what I know. It wasn't shame from God. Jesus was not shaming her. He, at times, will send his Holy Spirit to convict us, but never shame us. Shame is not of God. Shame says you're bad. But conviction says, hey, you did something wrong, and I want to walk with you in it. So it's more like Jesus is not shaming her. He's not condemning her. He's saying, listen, child, precious daughter, listen, I love you. And I know all about you. I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I know who you're with. And it doesn't matter. Walk with me. I can change you. I can fill you. I can be with you. I want to carry you. But she didn't get it. She still didn't get it. And I believe this next thing she says shows that the way she kind of hid in shame like we do is she changed the subject. And why don't we do that sometimes with God? We change the subject. She said, sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied. And he didn't go, woman, you know, like sometimes we think of it. Again, it was more precious daughter, child, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. He's saying salvation is from me. I am the one who forgives. I am the one who saves. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is the Spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and truth. He's saying a time is coming. Guess what? It's now. It's here. It's now. I am who you need. I am your salvation. I am your filling. He says, I can see your emptiness. I can see your longing. I can see you're trying to fill your life with other things, but it's not about this mountain. It's not about men. It's not about money. It's not even about the water here you seek. It's about me. Worship me. 
Then the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. She drops her jar. She runs into town, and instead of going home and hiding, she goes to every person she can find and says, I think I just possibly met the Messiah. He's at the well. He's told me everything about my life. And many ran to the well. Many followed Jesus. Many let him satisfy them. But the thing about the woman is, is we don't know. John doesn't record anything else about her. Maybe she followed with the others. Maybe though she still felt shame. Maybe she didn't feel worthy. Maybe she doubted he was who he said he was. Maybe she was fearful of what the others would do. And so maybe she went home, closed her blinds and shut her door and waited until the next day to go draw water. Or maybe if she did follow, maybe she followed him at a distance. Maybe she held off like way far away because she was letting shame or fear or doubt or busyness of life even get in the way of being close to him and leaning on him. We just don't know. So what does this say to us? What is this story about us today? That was a long time ago. We don't have to go to the, wa to the well to draw water anymore. But what it says to us is we also have to make a choice. We have a choice to make whether we follow Jesus, whether we stay home, whether we continue to try to do life on our own, or if we follow Jesus, are we going to follow him at a distance? And maybe you're here and maybe you're listening and you're, you really haven't made that decision yet to follow him. Maybe you're thinking, gosh, I don't know. Is he really the one that said he is? Is he really who he said he is? Will he satisfy? Or maybe you're here and you're following Jesus at a distance. You believe in him, but you're not really leaning on him for your whole being, your whole life. How are you doing? That's a question I want you to consider today. And I don't mean that flippantly because I know a lot of you are going through hard things. Maybe with your families or maybe with sickness. Maybe you're grieving or maybe you have struggles with mental health. But the truth is those are temporary things. When I say how you're doing, and Jordan always says this, how is your soul? Do you feel empty? Do you feel longing for more? Could it be that you're following Jesus at a distance? You're not leaning on him and letting him satisfy. And I can ask this because I've been there. I have followed Jesus at a distance saying or thinking things like, Jesus, you're great and all, but I've got this. I've got it. I believe in you, Jesus, but I believe in me just a little bit more. 
years ago, I remember, you know, at times trying to, you know, read the Bible and pray and, and going to church and listening, but not really thinking about all kinds of other things in my mind and walking out, not even remember what was said. Worshiping, but not really worshiping. Singing, but not really leaning in and leaning on. Trying to fill with other things or people, success, people pleasing. All the while following him at a distance. Letting things like shame or doubt or fear or even busyness of life rob me from letting go and leaning on him. Jesus, you're great and all, but I've got this. And maybe you're here and feeling that way too. But what's so great about our God is that he doesn't give up on us. He didn't give up on me, and he never gives up on you. He continues to chase us because he knows he is the only one that will satisfy. He'll put obstacles in our path and things, allow things to happen because he knows that no matter what, he is the one who satisfies. But we can't get water from a well that's far away we can't follow Jesus at a distance and reap the benefits of walking with him. We can't follow Jesus at a distance and reap the benefits of leaning on him. And what are these benefits? These benefits for me, they've been the soul-satisfying, filling relationship with Jesus that's displayed in growing more and his spirit's fruit with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are the benefits. It's walking and leaning on him. But it's not easy. It's hard. It is so much harder than not, to be honest. But it's so much more satisfying. It's difficult, so difficult, but so much more satisfying. And I wish I could say I was perfect at this. <laughs> then again, it would be about me and not him. I will, uh, I will go through times of just like really letting go and leaning on Jesus. But then there's times where I'm like, ah, Jesus. You're great and all, but I've got this. And then more overwhelm, more restlessness, fear, all these things would, will consume me. And I believe he lets us go through times that are hard because he knows we can't do this life on our own. We cannot follow him at a distance and reap the benefit of walking close and leaning on him. We just can't. He is the one who satisfies. He is the only one that can, only one. And so what is this leaning on? Quite simply, it's letting go. I love that we sang the song right before I came up, the song about I surrender. That's what it is. 
It's this practice every single day, moment, the every day of just letting go. Sometimes it just starts with words. It's not even really feeling my heart is all in it, just praying and letting go. And so I'm going to pray with us in a minute, and then we're going to worship together. I'm asking our worship team to come back up again, but we're going to practice this leaning on Jesus together, this leaning in, this letting go, this surrender we're going to start this today, and today can be your first day of surrender. And then I would just so recommend that tomorrow, maybe you put a post-it note out or put a note on your phone that comes up that says, surrender, I surrender to where before your feet hit the floor. You just pray, Lord, I surrender this day to you. Help me lean on you today. And then any time you start to feel yourself trying to control things again, trying to do it yourself again, saying, Jesus, you're great and all, but I've got this. Stop. Take a deep breath. I surrender this. I surrender him or her. I surrender this situation. I surrender this struggle. I surrender small things, big things to him. And so we're going to pray, and then we're going to worship in a song that, it's a song that I, I love. Um, Matt Marr has taken an old hymn, and he's made it into a new song, which those are my absolute favorites. But it wraps up, like, everything that I've shared. And this prayer, I want you to pray with me. I'm going to pray for us. And if you want to, you can silently pray this prayer yourself to God. You know, one thing to keep in mind, have you ever like held a baby and they're crying and they're crying and they're crying and you know they're not hungry. You know they don't need their diaper changed, but they won't stop crying and you rock them you pat them, you try to lay them down, you try it again. You know they're just restless and overwhelmed. And then finally, the best part is when they go, and then they fall asleep and you feel the weight in your arms. That's what leaning on Jesus is. And so when we pray, I'm gonna get to a point where I'm gonna say, and Jesus, all across this room and online, wherever you're at, we're going to surrender to you. So yourself right now, just I surrender, and then I'm going to be silent for a couple minutes. And then anything you're carrying, just surrender to him. So let's pray together. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And let it go. Picture yourself falling back in Jesus' arms. Maybe put your hands on your lap with your palms up. Father God, you are here. Your Holy Spirit is with us. Thank you for chasing us and never giving up. God, I know there's many here that either are struggling with choosing you or they're walking 
with you, but at a distance. God draws close to you. You're the one who can. Help us see and know and trust and believe that you are the living water. You are the one who satisfies. And God, we're carrying so much. There's so much on our plates. And so all across this room and online, we just pray, surrender to you. God, I surrender 